Hello again, this is Charlie O'Shields, and I'm so happy you've joined me for another episode of Sketching Stuff. I've always loved all sorts of animals and insects ever since I was a little kid. Getting to sketch them as an adult makes me feel like a kid all over again. During my art journey of daily writing and sketching, I haven't sketched many humans, but I have quite a collection of other living creatures. Nature is odd and wonderful, full of mysteries and often wild and unexpected things. Many times when I choose to sketch something from nature, I hop online to discover more about it. This has led to lots of random trivia that I've collected along the way, so I figured I'd share some of that with you here. As many of you know, I sketch to not only capture life, but to learn a bit more about it along the way, and the natural world is so fascinating and interesting to me, especially the oddest little bits that make my inner child giggle. While merely looking at nature certainly has much to inspire an artist, each living creature also has its own history. Beyond the lines, contours, and shapes, there's a story there as well. Sometimes I find myself fascinated with fun facts about a particular creature, and sometimes it makes me think of something else entirely. This, to me, is what makes daily sketching and painting so much fun. So join me now for perhaps the oddest journey yet, as we explore some curious bits of our naturally fun world. Welcome to Sketching Stuff, a collection of stories sketched from life. Giant Lady Beetle Once early in my art journey, I was challenged by a friend to do to wash a ladybug. With my penchant for macro and examining the world in realistic close-up, I ended up creating something that looked like the giant beetle who ate Manhattan. I discovered that these insects look a lot less ladylike in close-up. I'm not sure this one would be considered pretty, as it sort of looks like a rather angry cockroach who regretted its choice to go in lady beetle drag to a Halloween party. Though it is indeed a fairly accurate portrayal, I think this one looks a little more menacing because of my haste to pull references. I ended up on several websites for pest control. As a kid, I was always fascinated with bugs and insects, and each time I saw a new one, I was always a thrill. It was like I was the first one to discover it. Being a pint-sized geek, I would then rush to look it up in the encyclopedia, hoping that it wouldn't actually be found there. But alas, I was always disappointed to find that someone had made the discovery first, and indeed this insect had already been meticulously classified. One thing that was always a small comfort was finding a bug that wasn't popular enough to receive a cute nickname and was still forced to go by its often unpronounceable scientific name. That, at least, made it feel like I had found something unique and rare, and the nicknames were often wrong. Ladybugs, for example, are more accurately lady beetles because they're considered beetles and not true bugs. To reach this classification, you apparently have to have sucking mouth parts, a truly unfortunate description. Apparently, these little creatures have chewing mouth parts and, of course, aren't all ladies. There are male ladybugs who have heroic stamina as they can mate for two full hours, which just sounds thoroughly exhausting. As a very little kid, I didn't really have a clear idea of what this mating thing was, but I was just glad they weren't having sex because that would be gross. 
it was just exciting to learn about all the things I didn't know yet. I would later learn about human mating when my father had the birds and the bees talk with me. This wasn't really a conversation as he just handed me a box of adult magazines saying, it's all in there, figure it out. But male or female, these lady beetles are truly fascinating creatures. In nearly all cultures, this little insect is considered quite lucky. In France, folklore has it that if you're sick and one lands on you, your ailment will fly away with it. As kids in America, we didn't care if they were really beetles. We called them ladybugs, and we were just so excited to see one. When they landed on us, we were thrilled. For a brief, exciting moment, the world stood still, and we simply closed our eyes and made a wish. The Dick Dick. I once sketched a tiny little antelope in the genus Mataqua that lives in the bushlands of eastern and southern Africa called a dick-dick. Smaller than many dogs, they got their unusual name from the sound of the whistle they make with their noses when they sense danger. Their noses are prehensile, which means they can also grab things with it. As cute and tiny as they are, they still aren't the tiniest antelope on the planet, as that unique honor goes to the rabbit-sized West African Royal Antelope. Though not winning the race for smallest, Dick stand only about 12 to 16 inches at the shoulder. Though most antelopes live in herds, the Dick-Dicks live as couples. Once they find their soulmate, they settle down to raise a family and stay together for life. Like human mothers, the female usually only has one baby at a time. Unlike human mothers, they kick the kid out of the house when they are mature at about seven months old. Actually, the mothers kick out the female kids and the males have the talk with their son to let him know it's time to fend for himself and, well, get the hell out of mom and dad's territory. In order to mark their territory, the dick dick uses its tears. They will purposefully poke their eyes with grass and twigs to make themselves cry, which spreads the preorbital glandular fluid that comes from the black spot in the corner of their eyes. And lastly, a dick-dick pro tip, don't challenge them to a race unless you're riding a scooter as they can reach speeds of up to 42 miles an hour. Though there's no data to suggest they gloat upon winning, best to assume defeat before attempting to race one. When Peacocks Fly I once wanted to sketch a peacock, but then started wondering what they looked like in flight, so I decided to do a doodle wash of a flying peacock, which admittedly actually fits much better in my sketchbook. Though peacocks can only fly a rather limited distance, when a predator approaches, these magnificent birds run like hell, hop a bit, and take off into the sky. Well, towards the sky at least, as they can't fly particularly high. But the effect is beautiful and strikingly different than the usual peacock pose. Actually, only the males are called peacocks, the females are called peahens, the babies are pea chicks, and collectively they're referred to as peafowl. 
The tail feathers the male uses to attract females with, by being generally fabulous, don't actually start growing until around the age of three. During medieval times, these birds were considered a delicacy, and after being plucked and prepared for the feast, they were reassembled with their feathers for the final presentation. Though pretty, medieval Yelp reviews were not kind and said that the birds tasted horribly, were hard to digest, and also criticized by physicians as causing bad humors. Thankfully, these birds are not on the menu much anymore, and we can simply enjoy their intricate beauty. Out of 200 tail feathers, around 150 will have that famous eye pattern. Apparently, this was an evolutionary trait that came about due to the preference of the ladies. Peahens are hot for those eyes, even though they've evolved and have been lost many times. I guess it just depends on the latest fad in peacock world. Luckily, eyes are currently still the end traits, so we can enjoy their beauty as well. And if you're lucky enough, you might even be able to see one fly. For turtle. I once spent a month working on an illustrated ABC calendar, which I now sell in my online shop. With a ton of options for tea and a brief consideration of a toucan, I ultimately ended up with a red-footed turtle. I first found a reference for a colorful box turtle, but much of the signature color was due to his spooky red eyes, which started to creep me out. This one is actually a tortoise, which is more specific way to describe a terrestrial turtle who doesn't really know how to swim. Unless you're in Great Britain, then it's not a turtle at all and should only be referred to as a tortoise. Far too stringent a rule for North Americans, but we'll use tortoise henceforth to avoid confusion. It's rare to see a group of tortoises as they're rather solitary creatures, with mothers fiercely protecting a nest and then quickly abandoning their young right after they hatch. If you ever did see a group of tortoises, you would refer to them as a creep, but this is unlikely to ever be necessary knowledge given their nature. In my slapdash research, I was curious if tortoises could feel touch on their shells. It turns out their shells do have nerve endings and they can feel every little rub and some videos on YouTube seem to suggest some actually enjoy a good petting. Most curious was the subject of gender. Apparently, you can't tell a tortoise's gender until it reaches a certain size. This time frame varies by breed, but when it comes to sexual maturity, size does actually matter for tortoises. There was a bit about smelling with their throats, but then I got distracted by another cute cat video, so that's all the tidbits I have for today. I myself feel much better knowing more than just tea is for turtle. Odd Habits of the Praying Mantis Once during my art journey, I sketched a little praying mantis. These are odd little creatures that are often hard to spot as their body shape and colors make them blend in with the plants or tree bark around them. Though their bug eyes provide them with binocular vision, they apparently only have one ear, so they can't discriminate the direction or frequency of sound. Also, this ear is weirdly located on their belly, just in front of their back legs. This makes me think how bizarre it would be if that were the case for humans. 
At best, one would certainly not want to be caught whispering in public. The weirdest thing about the praying mantis is its penchant for cannibalistic sex. The female will sometimes eat the head off the male while they are copulating, and sometimes more horrifyingly, even before they begin. But it turns out the male is actually a better lover, without a brain to control his inhibitions, and as a bonus, his body provides nourishment for the monster mom. Now, while fairly common in artificial laboratory settings, it's estimated that the ladies only eat their dates about 30% of the time in a natural setting. Still not super great odds if one is a mantis bachelor. Of course, the name comes from their front legs that they hold upright as if in prayer. For all bees and other small insects listening to this, please don't be fooled by this angelic pose. This is simply the stance they take while waiting for prey so they can lash out with lightning speed and grab some dinner. Larger versions of this rather deadly predator can eat frogs, lizards, and even birds. Wow, these things are starting to make spiders look friendly. But there you have it, the rather odd world of the surprisingly vicious praying mantis. The Dragonfly. Long before dinosaurs, dragons filled the sky. I've always loved dragonflies and would seek them out when I was a kid fishing with my grandparents. Even when I found out they were not actually tiny flying dragons, which I had originally thought they were, I still like them. These incredible creatures have been on the planet for over 300 million years, predating dinosaurs. So that's still pretty cool. Growing up, I knew some little girls who swore they were fairies, which is an easy mistake when you see one flying by, but once they land on you, clearly, they have dragon similarities. Perhaps it was also my dream of wanting to fly myself that attracted me to dragonflies. They were impressive and would zoom by me at what seemed like an incredibly fast speed. I would later find out that one in Australia clocked in at 36 miles per hour. That's basically only the speed of an entry-level Vespa, but still, it's pretty impressive for something less than 10 centimeters long. Back when they flew next to dinosaurs, however, they were actually rather huge. The largest fossil ever found was a dragonfly that had a wingspan of 2.5 feet. That would be perfectly terrifying. There are more than 5,000 known species of dragonflies in the world today, so it's possible that there are even more out there yet to be discovered. Seeing one today is still a thrill for me, even if I've lost much of my childhood naivete. As one buzzes past and then hovers in the air like a helicopter, I still stand in amazement. And looking closely, I'll check just to confirm it's not a little fairy like those little girls claimed. No, down in the pond, you'll find nothing of that sort. But if you squint your eyes just right, it is very possible you might be lucky enough to see a dragon. on the wall. Once I sketched a fly because they were still buzzing around when Philippe and I were trying to enjoy the last few days on our terrace, so of course I thought I should doodle wash one. I used to do macro photography and found that close-up versions of these guys were sort of interesting and weird. 
Flies typically look like black, annoying blurs, but in close-up, they are often quite colorful, if not a bit creepy. I wasn't really sure how to handle the transparency of the wings, so I just whisked some white gouache on at the end. But the real secret is that I've always wished I could actually be a fly on the wall. Perhaps it's my introverted, living in my head all the time nature, but the idea of being able to watch people from a safe distance or overhear a conversation always fascinated me. That and the ability to actually fly, which would probably be the coolest thing in the world if I didn't have a severe fear of heights. I remember actually trying to fly as a little kid, thinking I could just flap my arms really fast and it might happen. I didn't expect to soar through the clouds, I wasn't stupid, but I did think I might be able to actually stay afloat for a few extra seconds at least. I would jump and begin frantically flapping, only to come down at precisely the same rate of speed as normal jumping. This was disappointing. My most vivid memory from childhood is actually a dream or a daydream. It was so real that I almost believed it actually happened. I was ascending the short flight of stairs to my bedroom in our split-level home and tripped. That wasn't the cool part. I was always a bit clumsy. No, the cool part came when instead of hitting my face on the stairs, I flapped my arms for a moment and I hovered there. I was actually flying. I don't remember what happened next. Most likely, I hit my face on the stairs. Even my dreams were always irritating tinged with reality. To this day, I just remember that brief moment and how great it felt to hover there, even if it was just a couple feet off the floor. Time stopped and I felt such an amazing sense of euphoric accomplishment. I don't think I've ever felt quite the same feeling as an adult. Perhaps that's why I remember it so vividly. It's also likely that it's because I eventually stopped flapping my arms around like an idiot trying to fly. My kid brain was growing up and starting to realize that I looked ridiculous and worried what other people might say. I now know it doesn't matter what people say about you and they're never likely to tell you how they really feel to your face. It's probably better that way. But if you ever feel brave enough to discover those secrets, all you'd have to do is ask that fly on the wall. A little crab on the beach. Once when I had a beach vacation on my mind, which is actually quite a lot, I decided to sketch a little crab. Weirdly, I find little crabs on the beach rather cute. Perhaps it's their little eyes poking out a little ways from their heads or that funny little way they walk sideways. I've only seen them on the beach a few times, but it's always a treat. Since they're good at staying hidden, it's fun to actually spot one. Years ago, when I spent a few days on the beach for the first time, I was befriended by a young guy who lived in a nearby house. He was one of those impossibly bronzed beach boys who spent the entire day outside, terribly bored, and on a constant hunt for new tourists to hang out with. So he chose me that day and was determined to teach me how to body surf. My inexperience with beaches has always made me feel shy about water, but I bravely attempted to do everything he was showing me. On a final attempt, after multiple fails of gagging for air and looking like a dead sea creature being washed up on shore, I managed to catch a wave and gracefully glide back into the beach. It was exhilarating. He immediately said he'd run home to get his body bored if I wanted to take the next step, but I said no, feeling the need to quit while I was ahead. 
The next moment, I saw a tiny crab comically sidestepping his way across the beach. He looked almost ridiculous and yet didn't seem to be bothered by that fact. Why did I care how I looked or if I did things perfectly if I was having a good time doing them? I turned to the guy and said, on second thought, I'm in. Go grab that bodyboard and let's surf. The next hour was a blast, and I cursed my self-doubt for almost making me miss out. A landlocked Midwestern guy finally got the experience of surfing in the ocean, all thanks to a little crab on the beach. Thanks so much for listening to the Sketching Stuff podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and new episodes will be added bi-weekly. Visit me at sketchingstuff.com to share your comments and stories. Bye.